Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 108, and my guest today is Chris Lister, CEO at Buildium. Chris had a goal of being a CEO of a company, and his experience at Constant Contact put him on the right path to make this professional goal a reality. He held multiple leadership roles over the 10 years at Constant Contact and saw the business grow at a hyper-growth pace. As a quick side note, Chris is actually one of the growing number of CEOs that was part of the team that scaled Constant Contact to an IPO and ultimately an acquisition by Endurance International Group for $1.1 billion. Chris joined Buildium originally as its chief customer officer before moving into the CEO position about a year ago. Buildium is the property management solution for real estate professionals, and the company has been growing aggressively. Its platform services over 16,000 customers in more than 50 countries, totaling over 1.8 million residential units under management. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Chris's background and how he got involved in the tech industry, the story of Constant Contact and how they scaled the company, the details on Buildium and their market opportunity plus growth plans, advice for others looking to become a CEO, when a startup should think about getting a board of advisors, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note, is your company hiring? If the answer is yes, then you might want to add a BizPage subscription. It is our employment branding and hiring solution that helps to keep your company top of mind for our target audience of professionals in the tech industry. A BizPage subscription includes an employment branding page, unlimited postings to our job board, access to our exclusive content series, and much more. Send an email to info at for more details. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Chris. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, how are you? Great to be here. Excited to be here, actually. Yeah, I'm excited, too. We have a lot to talk about. You've been part of some really high-growth companies that have done some extraordinary things. So, um, But before we get into, into that, let's talk about your background. So going back, like, you know, even where did you grow up? What were you like as a child? So I am a New Englander through and through. Uh, I was born and raised in Marlboro, Mass., about a half an hour outside of Boston. I then went to UMass Amherst on the western part of the state, uh, where I was made fun of that at that time because I had a Boston accent, and that's probably why I lost my Boston accent, because even though I was in the same state, I was still being made fun of of having the accent. Uh, and so then, yeah, so I met my wife at UMass. Uh, I finished course, up UMass. You studied French. I did study so, French. So was the, the, about that? Yeah, so what was the thought process there? You know, it's pretty interesting. Well, growing up, my parents uh, obviously had a huge influence on me, um, and they looked and they they taught us all, or their thoughts were for for undergraduate. If you really don't know what you want to do, look at it as an opportunity for you to really learn to learn, right, and to learn logical thinking and learn critical thinking and take big, you know, the big picture into account. So. As luck would have it, I did not know I what I wanted to study when uh, I was going through high school and made it all the way up to probably junior year, not really knowing what I wanted to do. Um, I had, or growing up on the summers, we had a cabin on the Vermont and Canadian border. And so we heard French, it was Quebecois French, but it wasn't, you know, it was still French, right? And so I was exposed to that early on and um, kind of did pretty well with it also in high school. And so I figured, well, let's take a shot and let's uh, study French as an undergrad degree uh, at UMass, which is what I did. It was a great, I loved it. Uh, it was a great opportunity. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, spend a fair amount of time in France in 89 when I was a sophomore. So I lived over there for a fair amount of time uh, and studied over there and, and, and uh, got exposed to a bunch of different, you know, 
cultures and stuff because my program was an international program. Uh, yeah, so that that was the reason. That was ultimately the reason why my undergrad is in is in French. <laughs> and, and, and then what did you what did you do afterwards? Because you know, there was it seems like there was some time before you went back to to, to get your MBA. Yeah, so uh, so I got a job actually straight out of the what was used used to be called the Big Help. Um, it was the classified ads. I remember the Big Help. Yeah, yep. in the Boston Globe when the Globe it went was... from like an inch to three inches on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this company needed a French speaker, and so I uh, got that job. And it was uh, a business development job, um, and uh, where I worked both inside you know, inside the office and then had the opportunity to actually travel, uh, to a fair number of really cool places. Cause my, my territory was, uh, France, the Middle East and Africa. And so at that time, here's a, you know, freshly minted, uh, what, 21, 22 year old, uh, kid first job. And he has the opportunity to, uh, go to South Africa, go to France, go to, uh, many places, um, and and be exposed to all these different cultures and be exposed to how you know different people think and how to help people and that's you know that's actually really where i started to get my first taste of of empathy and this company was an industrial manufacturing of uh, fluid control products so it was not my tech my tech time uh that hadn't started yet uh but yeah they were manufacturers of of like seals and um hydraulic seals and different things to help people move fluids from one point of a manufacturing process to the other. Uh, so I was at that job or at that company, number of jobs in the company for first seven years out of undergrad. And it was during that time that I decided to go uh, back to school and do my MBA at night uh, right here in Boston at uh, Northeastern. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, you, and, and then obviously from there, you went on to uh, get into to marketing. So you joined Rational, which Rational um, software, yeah. which was like uh, pr- like process software, right, for building software. Yeah, or? it was actually software development tools for software development teams. So we yeah. we had uh, we we had grown by a number of acquisitions to cover the entire software development process. And I came in at the time when we were starting to talk about changing up, you know, and they were still all pretty much individual point products. And we flipped the bit and offered and pulled the products together and ended up offering uh, four different suites of products to key teams and key members of the team uh, within the software development team. So requirements, modeling and developing, testing, uh, and just overall management. Uh, It was a phenomenal time. Yeah, so that was... I had the opportunity to jump from industrial manufacturing to tech right at the height of, uh, you know, web one, 1. 1.0 when it was the, you know, internet superhighway and everything started with E. Um, and, uh, and I took the, I took that jump and it was the, probably one of the pivot points in my career. Uh, Rational software was a phenomenal place to work. I got the real first taste of, you know, really hardworking, but really caring teams um, you know, we worked with engineers and so really get, getting a viewpoint of how engineers think and again, building on that idea of empathy and putting yourselves in other people's shoes. And we changed Rational's, you know, business model and ultimately changed their rate of growth with these, um, these suites took off to the point where I think it was like two years or two and a half years, um, you know, it was close to a billion dollar business. Uh, and so that was, that was really fun. I did get my first taste of true marketing 
Uh, I was doing marketing at the end at the first company, but uh, this was, you know, multidiscipline marketing across many channels um, with a bunch of different folks who were marketing uh, just experts, which was great. I just was able to soak it all up and learn. Uh, I, I concentrated in marketing as part of my MBA, so marketing and marketing systems. And this was the time that data, my likeness, my, you know, uh, inspirational uh, energy, I guess, around data started to come into play. So that idea of managing your gut with data, what I call the GD scale, you know, gut data scale, uh, that started to come into my, my, my mind. Um, and I was there for, let's see, what, four years. And then we were acquired by that big software company with three letters in its name, IBM. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a big company. I remember, and I remember the acquisition when that happened. Um, so, so we're going to talk about a, a 10 year span at one of the, you know, anchor tech companies that is now part of endurance international group, yeah. but was a you know company that went public constant contact. So how did, how did, how did you end up with at that yeah. company? It's great. So yeah, so I was at uh, IBM for a couple, three, three and a half years, uh, did some great stuff, but it just, you know, at that time, IBM was something like 250,000 employees. It just wasn't really what I wanted, right? And so a very good friend of mine uh, who was doing some consulting work for, for Constant Contact called me up and said, I think I have this job for you. I can't really explain the job because I really don't know what it is, but you need to be here. <laughs> so can you come on in and... Uh, I'll, and let's talk, right? Uh, and I'll tell you what it's all about. So luckily, I was wearing, you know, kind of, you know, the standard kind of chinos and a button-down shirt. Luckily, I didn't go in in shorts or whatever, because when I walked in and met my friend, she said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And let me tell you who you're going to talk with today <laughs> and what they're going to be looking to learn from you. And I said, wait, wait a minute, is this an interview? <laughs> she said, yes, silly, it's an interview. So I didn't really get that I was in it, nor was she clear, by the way. It wasn't me missing it. She was not clear. So I was there for the whole day, and I met uh, at Constant Contact, and I met a number of the key people who ultimately became some of my best friends. Uh, and that culminated with uh, spending uh, some time with the CEO, Gail Goodman, who became ultimately a huge friend and a massive mentor to me, uh, and uh, got the job. So I came in as uh, what was called the director of conversion marketing. And really the, the role was to not only really kind of solidify and you know, codify the various conversion points within our business funnel. And this is when my also love of funnels and business models started, but you know, identifying all those points and then how, what do we need to do to maximize each of those points within the funnel? And, um, I became known as the funnel guy at Constant Contact. At, at some point, there was probably not a whiteboard in Constant Contact that didn't have a funnel drawn on it um, because we needed, as part of once we started to understand this fully, uh, you know, we needed to educate the company as to what the funnel meant and, and, and how everyone contributed to the success of the funnel and the various points. And so everyone could end up finding themselves within the funnel and how they were contributing. And so that... What was Sorry. the size of the company when you joined? Like how many employees were there at that time? Yeah, so it was 2006. Uh, it was pre-IPO. Uh, there was about 100, 100 employees. Uh, I think I was 100 and th employee 103. Uh, there was probably only 12 or 15 people in the marketing organization, which is where I landed. Uh, marketing and product actually were one organization at that time, which was really interesting. Um, and, you know, it goes to that idea, are you a product company or a marketing company? Um, 
at that time we were both because marketing and product were in, were in one organization, which had its great pluses and minuses. Um, and yeah, so we were about a year, ultimately a year and a half away at that time of, uh, going public. So, so what was it like then? Uh, you know, I've heard Gail Goodman tell the constant contact story of, you know, going out there and, and pitching to investors about this model of, you know, email, uh, software and, the term SaaS didn't even exist then. And it was a very low price point and, um, you know, very different sales model than what people were used to. And, um, you know, and so it was an SMB. Yeah. So SMB, exactly. No one paid attention to SMBs. I was like foreign. Um, so what was it like then? Like, like how, how did you actually build out that high performing, um, you know, marketing function like you yeah. and the others? Yeah. So, and you're right. And the, and the follow on add on to what you heard and what Gail talks about is we always heard, no, we always heard you can't do it. Uh, it's a low price point. Um, you're not going to be able to figure it out and uh, good luck. <laughs> so it was really exciting. The, first, the, the way they, we did it was um, we had an incredible team. You know, I was just part of this, this team that was just motivated because we knew that we were, you know, creating a category, frankly, of SMB email marketing um, and uh, bringing email marketing to the SMBs, which nobody was doing. And so uh, we, we knew we had, we ultimately knew we had something because when we went out and talked with customers and, and showed them what this could do and the value that it would bring to their organizations and their companies, um, the light went on. So we knew that we just needed to fit just, right? But we needed to figure out how to do that at mass scale. And ultimately, a couple of things played out. One, the SMB market, you're right, nobody was paying attention to it because, frankly, you have to be genuine, you have to be empathetic, uh, and you have to really understand their pain and be able to talk to them in the most simplest of terms uh, because they don't have time to listen to anything else. Uh, and so uh, we, we held that so close to our, to our chest and to our minds that this was how we were going to do it. Um, and also, we looked at it as part of SaaS. You're right. We were plowing the, the fields here, making the first effort in a lot of these places. Um, and so, you know, we were month by month. Uh, there were no contracts. And so ultimately, how that translated is within the, the company, we had to earn their, their business every single month, right? And so the idea of managing churn, managing, uh, you know, the, the customer experience, making it simple, things that are now standard uh, you know, SaaS realities um, were things that we were just kind of learning along the way uh, and, um, and trying to really set ourselves apart uh, from anyone else that was trying to do anything with SaaS. And what we really, uh, or for the SMBs, and again, what we really focused on was SMBs can smell, if you're not genuine, a mile away. And uh, that's what we really, we really just kept throughout all the 10 years that I was at Constant Contact. And did you like in, I love the earlier days story part. Did, did you have like that metric that you knew, you know, someone comes in if they did like maybe the free trial and if they did X, it's kind of like, you know, Facebook, they knew the network effects. If someone invited 10 friends, the likelihood of them staying on Facebook was exponentially greater. Did you guys have that kind of core metric that, you know? Yeah. So there was actually two. So one was even uh, to get at least five names, contacts into the contact database. Uh, and because, uh, the big kind of pushback originally was, I don't have names. Like, who am I going to send my newsletter to? <laughs> and so we would even say, you know, your friends, your family, your, you know, all these, and we would, 
get enough so there would just be five. So they would get actually some feedback on their newsletter. And then the next thing was get the newsletter up. So we knew that, you know, even back then we were calling every single trialer and the thing was to get them to convert to either use uh, two things. One, use the product right away, even during the trial, all the way to send and or convert to pay. Um, but even more importantly, just to get them to send, we, kn we knew from the data that the probability of then converting to pay went up exponentially. So that's what that first initial uh, trial call uh, focused on. And frankly, that's, that's still what it is focused on today because uh, we know that that is that core metric. Yeah, because well, you mentioned this just a moment ago. It was a low-touch model, meaning people came to the website, signed up. Maybe they saw it on someone else's email. They saw constant contact. They're like, what is that? And they somehow got and signed up for a free trial. But there was a high touch of a customer success team that was reaching out and actually interfacing with that customer that I had Eric Groves on the podcast. And he said that was when you had another hook into that customer. When we introduced the call, uh, you know, it's so it, it was such a great thing because we could see throughout the, you know, after 10 years, it was great just to look back and at all the data. And we could see the points where we we tried a lot of things, but we also saw the point where the key things hit. Uh, adding the live call just changed, it changed the whole, the whole model. Our conversion point, our conversion rate went up by notable, notable points, as I'm sure Eric probably told you. Uh, you know, and just continuing along that line, we knew throughout the years, you know, then um, there was a web test that we did where frankly, uh, and Rachel actually was with me uh, at Constant Contact, um, you know, we introduced kind of the, what we would call the chevrons, but it showed on the website the step in the process that we want, wanted you to take, right? We wanted you to take a try, you know, just these little chevrons and that treatment change, again, impacted one of our other key conversion points, which was visitor to trial, right? And so um, it was just notable to be able to see your efforts have an impact, over those 10 years. And you could see it just in all of the reporting and graphs where we changed things up. It was great. How did your career evolve over that stretch of time, over that 10 year span? Cause you did a lot of different things. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. So early on, even, um, very early days, uh, Gail and I had discussions and I told her early on that I wanted her job, uh, that I wanted to be, you know, I would love to be the CEO of constant contact someday. Uh, and I'm going to work, to do that. And so, you know, coming in with the, the experience that I had and then coming in from marketing, we landing in the marketing department, you know, I needed to have some uh, more and varied type of experiences. So I was the conversion guy for a couple, three years. Then as part of the conversion work, we noted at the top of the funnel, we had way too many people involved, most certainly from a, from an executive team perspective, meaning there were so many teams involved at the top of the funnel at the web experience side. And those folks rolled up to three different executives at that time. And so I, I put out their proposal of let's consolidate this and let's see if we can, by consolidating it, we'll have an impact on not only our direct, uh, you know, uh, constantcontact.com experience, but also we had at that time, I think 1500, uh, business partners, so indirect channel partners, who all had their own web experience. And um, we needed to improve that whole process too. So I proposed that and, and became the VP of the, the web experience for a couple of years. Uh, and then as companies grow, 
you look to try new and different organizational structures. And at, during that time, we had introduced our second product, which was a survey product. And then our third product, which was an event management product akin to Eventbrite. Um, and we wanted to give Eventbrite, a, or sorry, we wanted to give the event product a better chance of, uh, of building on some of the success of some of the previous products. So we actually created a business unit. So really startup within Constant Contact. And um, I headed that was able to pull from all throughout the rest of the organization. And we, you know, so I was responsible for sales, marketing, dev, the entire, it was an entire, you know, encapsulated business within Constant Contact. At that time, I then uh, became uh, an executive of the company um, and then did that for a few years. And as you continue to say, well, I don't know if that organizational structure works and we're growing as, you know, this fast. Uh, so then we decided to pull at that time, we also had a couple of other business units, um, decided to pull all the business units back into the kind of email marketing core because uh, we were changing up the way that the email marketing editor, if you will, worked. And so it made sense to bring the other products almost as extensions of the, that core. And at that time, I became the chief revenue officer of Constant Contact overall and uh, responsible for, you know, new customer ads and uh, general revenue. Um, and... Uh, and did that until the the endurance acquisition in 2016. Do you have a like a a moment where you're like, wow, uh, that was a crazy time. Somehow we survived. What yes. a lesson learned, right? Like yeah. one of those. Wow, we we made it somehow. Yeah. So I, I tell a lot of people this moment. So one of the things that I took from Constant Contact was I re, I remember walking uh, into kind of a point of the the building or of the floor where you could look down the entirety of the floor and that was sales, marketing partners, essentially the majority of my, of the organization that I was responsible for. And the activity was at this pace that was crazy, right? People were running around and, but guess what? The majority of the people had smiles on their faces, right? And it was at that time that we were growing rapidly. We, you know, had the feeling that we could, we were going to win and we could do nothing wrong. Um, and that, that period of time, I remember thinking, wow, I have to remember this because I wanted as a goal of mine to have as many people as possible experience this type of scaling and this type of growth. And I've carried that with me since I've left Constant Contact because it was a, for me personally, and I know for many people at Constant Contact at that time, it was a phenomenal, not only professionally, you know, a growth area, a growth time for professionally, but also personally, right? And, uh, and I know even today we reminisce about those those years where it was just crazy times at, at, and great successful times at Constant Contact. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what I still carry here at Buildium. I want everyone here at Buildium, I want us to drive the company such that we all experience that type of great scale and growth, which I think we can. And so that's that's what's really exciting. Well, you, you didn't become CEO of Constant Contact, but you are CEO of Buildium. So the career trajectory worked out for you. Um, so what does Buildium do? Yeah, so, you know, Buildium is a property management platform for smaller third-party independent property management firms. And think of it as uh, if, you, if you manage a bunch of properties, it's a, it's a platform that allows you to manage your, your properties, your, the units in those properties, the leases that are associated with those units, and the tenants or residents that are in those, uh, in those units. And then also all of the accounting and the more financial part and aspect uh, around that property management. 
And uh, so we've been around, you know, we've been around for 15 years. Uh, I joined it uh, two years ago and as the chief customer officer. And, um, you know, at that time I was responsible for sales, marketing, uh, support and success. And then about eight months ago, uh, transitioned into the CEO uh, as uh, Michael Montero, one of the co-founders who's still here in an advisory role. Um, you know, he decided it was time to to move on uh, from the day-to-day operate, you know, he had been doing CEO as since the founding. Uh, and also, you know, it was that we were at that point of scaling, right? We, we are hitting that inflection point where accelerated growth, uh, you know, growing company, growing employee base. And uh, it's that idea, well, let's get some folks in that have that experience of scaling a SaaS company. And oh, by the way, can we even get folks that were scaling a SaaS company that were focused on SMBs? And so that's what we've done over the past couple of years. And, um, and we're having a great time doing it. Well, what I admire about Buildium is the company was largely bootstrapped for the history yeah. before raising the private equity round. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Michael and Dimitri, our other co-founder, um, yeah, they, they built this company um, and we're starting to get some, some great feedback, some great customer pickup. Uh, and then, you know, people started coming knocking and saying, hey, we're, this is a kind of uh, interesting space. You know, some of the folks that came knocking were actually, were knocking on the door well before this there's a massive growth going on and massive investment in prop tech right now, as I know, you know, um, and, you know, we're talking billions of dollars in, in VC and PE and, uh, and a couple, you know, a couple organizations came to us and, and uh, asked if we needed any uh, capital to help us get to our goals. And Michael and Dimitri had the foresight to say, you know what, um, if they're coming now, a lot of other people are going to come later and there's probably going to be a lot of other players in this space soon. And uh, let's do it now because we think we have a real great opportunity here because our customers were just giving that, giving us that validation that you're genuine, you're empathetic, and you're driving real value into my business. Um, and so, yeah, they, we had the we had an initial uh, investment from K1, actually two initial investments from K1, and then we had a pretty notable investment um, just over three or just about three years ago of uh, 65 million from Sumeru Equity Partners, uh, who are great folks and. Yeah, so away we went. Well, this morning I was actually listening to a podcast and uh, it was a VC talking about, you know, the verticalization of SaaS and that's what he focused on. That was his thesis. And he was going deep in every industry that hasn't, you know, really evolved. And he was talking, his big bet was, I forget the name of the company, but he uh, invested in a company that focused on construction software. Yeah. And he talked about the company that it had this history of 12 to 15 years of building product. And finally, the world collided of, Customers are ready. Technology's there. They had the footprint, history, credibility in that industry where, you know, the, the, they put the cash and the money and the thing just skyrocketed. So it sounds like a very similar situation here at Buildium. 100%. And that was actually one of the things that I was looking for uh, post Constant Contact, right? So Constant Contact was a complete, you know, uh, horizontal play. We were in something like 400 to 500 different verticals. Uh, and I wanted to, there was, there is a move and there was a move even a couple of years ago when I, when I started uh, deciding to get back into the mix after my sabbatical that the verticalization of SaaS is happening and happening uh, uh, pretty rapidly. And so I found, found building was lucky enough to, to meet Michael. Um, and you're right. There has, we are at it again in, in property, in prop tech and in, in property management. Um, we are at that point where people are understanding that it's no longer a choice to 
to adopt this technology. It's actually, and it's really, it's losing actually almost this idea of being a real differentiator. And it's almost becoming table stakes. And then ultimately it's what are you doing with that technology to set you apart the services that you offer differently because of the efficiencies you're getting from that technology and the growth that platforms like Building can offer you. What's the current scale of the company as far as uh, employees, yeah. customers? Yep. So we are Boston-based. Uh, the majority, we do have offices in a couple other places, but the majority of, of employees are here in Boston. We just moved into our brand new offices where we uh, doubled our space, went from 15,000 square feet to about 38,000 square feet. Uh, we have about 100 or 200 folks uh, here in Boston. We have eight folks in Portugal. We have 30 folks in, uh, in India. And we have five or seven folks out west in, uh, in Seattle, well, eastern Washington. Um, and uh, we have 16,200 or so customers. So wow. again, these are, yep, these are all smaller property management firms who are managing anything between 20 units up to 5,000 or 10,000 units. Uh, you know, and the largest of our customers have at most 20 to 23 employees. So we're, just, you know, we, we run the gamut of SMB. We are, those, those 16,000 customers are managing a total of 1.9 million units, which then have about 3 million residents in those units. So it's notable volume. Right. And uh, and growing notably and accelerating that growth. You know, there's 43 million units available uh, for rent uh, in in the U.S. So we're predominantly U.S. and Canada focused. We we are in 43 countries from a business perspective, but we are our go to market uh, strategy and our go to market model only focuses on the U.S. and Canada. Um, so, yeah. And in having, you know, We've made some great strides. You know, we have a great product that throws fantastic value to our customers. We have shorn up and really uh, strengthened the entire funnel. Uh, we are you know, working on in various places. We have found um, the repeatable model. We still have some areas to find the repeatable model. We're starting to fl- put the flywheel on the repeatable model. You know, so we are deep in those fundamental things that you need to do for scaling SaaS which uh, I just get really excited about. And we're still, you know, focused on SMBs, which I obviously love. Uh, and um, so, yeah, it's been a great couple of years. What's the, the, the plans for hiring? Like, are you, obviously you have brand new space, so there's uh, lots of places to, uh, for people to hang their hat. Yeah, so we have pretty extensive plans. So anyone, <laughs> buildium.com slash careers. Uh, we have things across the board. Uh, technical openings, marketing openings, sales openings, success openings, uh, G&A openings. We have openings everywhere. <laughs> um, and it's a big talent fight, right? We are, Boston is a pretty uh, pretty notable place for the, the talent wars. And, um, you know, so we are, we're working that. And uh, I think we have a, a great place to work. We have phenomenal employees. Our team is, you know, so incredible. Uh, I, I'm really proud of this team. And, um, but yeah, we are, it's a fight for, for great, for great talent. Now, we, we talked about your um, aspiration to be a CEO. And yeah. as we already noted, you accomplished that goal. What advice would you give to others that are looking to follow the same career trajectory? Yeah. So, um, you know, for whatever reason, this was kind of in the back of my head for, 
uh, for a long time uh, and started to solidify throughout my you know initial career and then really solidified when you know I was at constant contact and working with Gail. And and the reason I wanted to be CEO is because I think the opportunity to impact and and drive um, the culture and help support the culture and and where you want to go of a company and an employee base um, is really interesting. And I love the the fact that there's an opportunity to work with a team to really ensure that the importance that I have I feel towards employees and their not only being satisfied with what they work, but being extremely proud of the company that they work for. Um, Obviously, as people say, you know, you spend more time at work and doing work than you do with your family. So, of course, we have to, you know, we take that seriously. Um, And then the ability to, you know, understand who you're going after, why you're going after. And ultimately, what this game is all about is, is changing the course of your prospects day. And what I mean by that is, through our go-to-market efforts and through our product efforts, how do you get your prospect market to to break their inertia and say, hmm, I should spend some time with Buildium or looking at Buildium? And that's a great challenge to me. And and I like the fact from a CEO perspective that can make sure that everyone is aligned around that idea and aligned around how people are contributing. So my advice to the people would be, um, to anyone, uh, is, you know, have that goal in mind and then really spend time throughout those years, throughout the years of getting there of iterating on the pros and cons and your passions and not passions and what you believe it will take for you to get there and be vocal about it. You know, find your mentor and, and talk with him or her about, about and find or many mentors and, and talk with them about what you want to do and why it does, it can be CMO, it can be whatever, whatever your goal is um, and be true to it. And realize, okay, I'm not, I know I'm not there today, but, and what do I need to do? And for me, it was to uh, work on a number of things, frankly. It was working on the idea of the importance uh, and building on the idea of importance of teams, right? My, my answer is not always right. So how do we make sure that we really uh, are, again, empathetic to, not, to your team and really valuing your team? Um, the other idea is understanding how the entire business model for me works. Uh, that and so getting that varied experience throughout, and I was lucky enough to be able to do that in one company. But I also know many people who have done that in many different companies, all with that goal. Um, and be true to yourself. So, you know, yes, I I wanted to be a CEO, or I felt like I wanted to be a CEO for a long time. But ultimately, the interesting thing is when. So after Constant Contact, I was on a sabbatical. I took a sabbatical for a year, and I worked uh, as an executive in residence with the folks over at Underscore VC. And it was interesting because the CEO requirement or or aspect of what I wanted actually took a second-level priority when I went through the process of where do I want to go next. And it was really, I want to work with a great team. I I want to stay in SMB. So that idea of re-evaluating what your priorities are, you know, I was lucky enough to, to meet Michael and I was you know, lucky enough to understand that at that time, Michael was thinking, you know, I, I want to find the right person to take over for me. And, and I, I was lucky to be that person. But in reality, if I stayed the CCO for a number of years, the satisfaction that I had here at Buildium 
and, and not become CEO, you know, that was, that was great for me, right? Because the team here is phenomenal. We're doing great things. SMBs, you know, so it is interesting that, yes, I ultimately wanted to be CEO, but the priorities change as you go through that process of figuring out you know, what you really want to do and where you get that satisfaction from and how you can balance all that in your whole life. Typically, you can't apply for CEO jobs. They're not yeah. usually publicized out there. How do you get on the radar that, you know, you, you had great advice, like be vocal, that you are trying to get to that next level as CMO, CEO, whatever the case may be. How do you get on the radar for the executive search firms that are probably doing these confidential searches? Like, you know, you're a chief revenue officer of a publicly traded company at scale in Boston. Do you start just getting phone calls or like, how do you start to build the network so people know that that's your intention? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, for me, it was more of building a network of peers, of folks that are, you know, throughout the years at Constant Contact, marketing folks, and then ultimately went into general management folks and, and, and really build a, a pretty um, varied network. So, you know, I, I had a network that had VC folks in it. I had, and, and be willing to put yourself out there if people wanted some advice or some help and, you know, start going to events and start being uh, noted, telling people you'd be happy to be on panels, right? So it's through that. So I, I didn't set up a network with the intent of building a search firm network. I built up a network because I needed advice, right? And I wanted, I wanted to interact with people that maybe had done things before the same type of things for me. And so, you know, what I say to a lot of people here is, on day one, when you join a company, you have a network, right? It is your organizational chart. It, but that's the half-life of that is probably a month. So what you need to do is start to set up that, you know, the 360-degree network around you made up of cross-functional people internally, but then also externally, who are those folks that you want to reach out to and say, hey, I'm in this position. I'd love your advice on that. I know that you do. And, and as part of that, you figure out value you know, um, kind of almost codependent value, right? Getting value from them. And then ultimately you'd find out what value you can give to that person that you're, you're wanting in your network. And usually it's from that. And actually that's what happened with Buildium. Uh, a person in my network said, Hey, Michael Montero is looking to talk with somebody who has scaled a company before. Would you be willing to talk with him? I knew of Michael. Um, and uh, so we started talking and we got to the point where we said, Hey, should you be here? And I said, Hey, should I be here? And, and away we went. Right. So, it, um, yeah. So I think you get that added value from establishing a network of peers, of mentors, of, of a variety of different types of folks, uh, within your network. The other thing that you've done a lot of, and I think this also helped enhance your, um, resume or, you know, potential of being a CEO is you've been on the board of advisors at, you know, companies like Backupify that was acquired by Datto, uh, WordStream that was acquired. Um, so when should a company, a startup start to think about adding a board of advisors and how do you determine who should be on that, on that team? Yeah, great question. So I, um, you know, it's interesting, uh, both Backupify and WordStream, I, I believe they started at different times or look for an advisory role, our advisory board at different times for different reasons. So, um, so for example, WordStream uh, wanted an advisory board because they were starting to uh, enhance um, their overall uh, metrics and really analyzing the business and really working to understand if they were 
you know, hitting the, the real true uh, SMB pay-per-click customer that they were wanting to hit. And so they brought on a bunch of uh, folks on the advisory board that had worked a funnel, established a funnel, understood what key metrics were in the funnel, et cetera, right? Um, and that's what we... That's what we focused on a lot uh, during those early days with the advisory board, but they were they were notably established. Um, and it's funny, I actually just saw the former CEO of uh, WordStream a couple weeks ago, Ralph Fultz, and um, he reminded me that there is still a, a uh, reporting package at WordStream called the, the Litster reports, right? Because we <laughs> talked about uh, the importance of cohorts and we talked about not, you know, make sure you are aligning the metric, the, the you know, numerator and denominator correctly for conversion and all this stuff. And so it's just funny that it still exists. Mm-hmm. On the Backupify side, um, I think Rob May wanted an advisory firm that could help, or advisory board that could help him with different functions, and then also help him with his board uh, to give that kind of street cred of, um, hey, we're starting to see some metrics and we're starting, you know, we think this is good. Uh, we, you know, we think this is where we should be and we're hearing this from our customers. And so each of us had that different role of uh, to being able to support and validate what Rob was saying to his board and then also support and validate what, what Rob was looking to do uh, with his team and then working to help bring those teams together. Um, again, both of those opportunities came from my network, right? So I wasn't seeking out um, any of those roles other than, again, somebody said, hey, I think you should talk with Ralph because I, I know he's looking for an advisory board member and I know you could probably help. Same thing with Rob. Uh, again, actually, it was the colleague at, at Constant Contact who brought me to Constant Contact said, I, you should meet Rob. Um, you know, and so I've, I've, I got to know Rob and still talk with Rob pretty frequently today, given uh, some of the stuff he's doing with Tala and his new, his new business over there. So again, I think if you have that, that network um, and people know you, those opportunities uh, will come your way. There is also, I also know, you know, that's the way that I did it, right? I also know many people who put out to search firms saying, I would like to be on boards. And there are services that are pretty successful at, at offering that up. So I think for, for CEOs and founders, it's really figuring out, you know, what you have as talent in-house, what you have as talent on your board and on your, you know, board of directors, if you will. And then how can you maybe augment or fill some of those holes with an advisory board. I think the role of an advisory board is notably different and should be by the board of directors. Um, you know, you get deeper operationally. Um, you you um, are engaging with those, those folks more often than a board. Uh, and you can establish relationships and trust, I think, um, more rapidly as well. You're very busy building Buildium, no pun intended. Uh, so, but when you do have time outside of work, what do you like to do? So, uh, yeah, so I have, I have three boys. So I'm married with, with three boys, uh, 18, 16, and 14. Ah, okay. Uh, so you're so, very busy. Yeah, so that keeps me busy. <laughs> um, for the winter months, so we're a big skiing family. Uh, so we go up to Loon Mountain in New Hampshire uh, pretty much every weekend uh, for during the winter to ski. Um, and then in the summers, um, we have a place up at Lake Champlain in, in Vermont. And so we spend a lot of time up there. Uh, love hiking, love biking. Um, and then I just, I, I, I read a lot. I, and I, I read a lot of different things. Fiction. I love historical fiction. Um, I love a little bit 
too much business books. Um, and so, you know, I'll read as much of those things as I can to continue to make sure I'm, I'm on point as to what's going on. Um, so yeah, so those are, that's what keeps me ticking. Is there a recent book that you've read that you'd recommend? I always go back to good to great and radical candor. Um, I, I revisit those books often. Um, and, uh, to make sure that I don't forget, um, you know, what I think those things are just foundational elements. And most certainly over the past eight months, as I transitioned into the CEO role, uh, you know, cause even though, you know, when I was CCO, many of the executives reported into me here at Buildium, uh, in that role. Uh, and so, you know, moving up to CEO still had those same executives plus more. And we couldn't forget that even with that fact, we had to go through the norming, storming, forming stage again, right? Because it was a different team. And, and so going back to the, those key books to remember those foundational elements and to remember the importance of being radically candid, um, I, I always go back to those. Well, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time for sharing your background story, which is just awesome to hear. I love hearing the constant contact story. It's just fascinating and all the great stuff you're up to at Buildium and, um, you know, obviously all the, the great advice that you shared, just kind of the, the general questions. Awesome. It was fantastic. Thanks for having me. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.